Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our TOSIG Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Laura Deddy, Chair of Subspecialty Care for Women's Health at Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Deddy is here today to talk to us about fertility preservation for female cancer patients. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So maybe to start, just give us a little background on what you do here at Cleveland Clinic. I am a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. And uh, besides working uh, on the administration at the Cleveland Clinic, I also work in the fertility clinic. So I take care of patients with infertility issues. Uh, But as the definition says, I'm also a reproductive endocrinologist. So I also take care of all patients with any endocrinologic problem. And uh, I am also the primary responsible for the fertility preservation program here at the clinic. uh, And that has been uh, since uh, uh, 2020. So I think uh, it's it's probably safe to say that we don't think about fertility as often as we should as oncologists. So maybe you could just start by, by letting us know, you know, what are some of the fertility sparing techniques that are used for women with cancers? Uh, that, of course, uh, depends on the patient's age and the time that we have before they initiate uh, chemo or radiation therapy. But there are mainly three techniques that we can use. The medical approach is the oldest, and it entails using GnRH agonists uh, throughout the uh, administration of the chemotherapy. The other two techniques are purely surgical. One is the oocyte cryopreservation technique, and the other one is the ovarian tissue cryopreservation technique. And if you want, I can go into a little more detail in each one of them. Sure, that'd be great. So the uh, medical approach is uh, the oldest, as I said before, and uh, And it is uh, based on a physiologic development of the follicles uh, in the ovary. All females are born with a set number of uh, oocytes in their ovaries, and the oocytes are organized in follicles. Now, there's two primary groups of follicles within the ovary. One is the primordial follicles, which constitute the majority of the follicles, and they're also the ones that maintain the uh, ovarian reservoir. The second group of follicles is the developing follicles. So there is a very important step that the primordial follicles need to go through to become developing follicles. And once they start the development, they cannot go back to become primordial. So if we have too many primordial follicles that enter development, we will have depletion of the ovarian reserve. And I'm saying that because uh, the GnRH agonist, which is the medical approach to fertility preservation, uh, basically targets only the developing follicles, but not the primordial follicles. However, by doing that, GnRH preserves the concentration of AMH, 
which is the anti-mullerian hormone produced by the uh, secondary and very early tertiary follicles, which maintains the primordial follicles in their uh, dormant state. So if we destroy, for instance, with chemotherapy, the secondary and early tertiary follicles, we will decrease the concentration of the AMH hormone. And as a consequence, we will have more of these primordial follicles that enter development and then eventually will deplete the ovarian reserve. So GnRH uh, basically has only a transient effect on fertility preservation. And that has been proven in many studies uh, before. Um, and, uh, and so it's not the ideal uh, method to preserve fertility in cancer patients. Nonetheless, it's very useful to use it uh, during chemotherapy treatments. Now, the other two approaches, which are the oocyte cryopreservation and the ovarian tissue cryopreservation, are much younger as approaches, but they're the most effective uh, that we have. Basically, by preserving oocytes and taking them out of the ovary before uh, starting chemotherapy will prevent those from going into destruction and apoptosis and it will preserve uh, these eggs uh, on the side and they will be ready for fertility afterwards. Now, the ovarian tissue cryopreservation entails uh, uh, taking and explanting part of the ovary or the whole ovary and then preserving only the cortex part of the ovary, uh, discarding the medullary part. This technique has been proven very efficient and efficacious in preserving uh, the fertility in these young cancer patients. Now, these two techniques have indications that are different depending on the age of the patient, her pubertal status. Uh, and so it is important to always refer to a reproductive endocrinologist to make a decision on which one to use. And then from a safety standpoint, um, cryopreservation, you're actually removing tissue. Is it is it safer because you're not exposing the oocytes to cytotoxic chemotherapies that can alter DNA? That's exactly the point, yes. So you will uh, preserve that uh, ovarian tissue in time before it's exposed to any chemotherapy. So there is uh, no way for the chemotherapy to destroy that ovarian reservoir. Now, you mentioned at the beginning about time and, and the time it takes for these. So one thing that we're very, very interested here is um, time to treat. So someone gets a diagnosis, how quickly can we get them treatment for their cancer? How do these techniques vary from when someone may be diagnosed and we say, hey, we have to start chemotherapy to um, the cryopreservation or the, the, the medical uh, fertility sparing? How, how do they vary? So the uh, medical approach, uh, the ideal time of starting it would be two weeks before 
uh, before chemotherapy starts. So, but basically, it can be started at any time during the process, uh, as long as we remember. So, there's no real downtime for that. The oocyte cryopreservation requires a stimulation of the ovaries for about two weeks, and then it entails also a minor surgical procedure to retrieve the oocytes from this uh, uh, from the inside of the uh, ovary. So it requires at least two to three weeks before chemotherapy can be initiated. So it's not the ideal. Uh, approach if a patient has to start the chemotherapy next week, for instance. The ovarian tissue cryopreservation entails a surgical procedure to explant uh, the ovarian tissue. And so that could be done at any point, uh, again, before the chemotherapy start. So theoretically, it could be done just uh, two or three days before chemotherapy starts. So that's uh, very easy to perform because it doesn't require any preparation uh, with hormones or other medications. When you, you see a patient, what sort of factors play into which of the options you pursue? What what are the what are the patient factors or their cancer related factors? How do you think through that? We always do it uh, in a team approach with the oncologist, uh, the surgeons, uh, psychologists, and of course the reproductive endocrinologist. And it depends uh, mostly, again, from the pubertal state of the patient and also when the chemotherapy needs to be started. So if a patient is a prepubertal, uh, we cannot uh, induce uh, ovulation. So we cannot uh, basically have uh, these uh, secondary follicles develop into tertiary and then harvest the eggs because we need uh, a mature uh, ovary of a postpubertal woman in order to do that. So in the prepubertal patients, the best approach would be performing ovarian tissue cryopreservation. If the woman is uh, post-pubertal, but there is a very short time before starting chemotherapy, again, ovarian tissue cryopreservation would be the best technique. Otherwise, if we have at least a couple of weeks, like for instance, in breast cancer patients in whom most of the times at least uh, we can gain those uh, two, three weeks before starting chemotherapy, uh, in those instances, uh, we can perform ovarian egg cryopreservation preservation. Of course, uh, adding the GnRH agonist is a uh is something that is uh, feasible for all these categories, including the prepubertal patients, uh, even though normally we do not use a GnRH agonist in these patients. So there are certainly lots of decisions that are somewhat complex to be made here. How often does this happen in the community? Is this something where people need to come and, and get the specialty sort of recommendations from a an academic center, or is this happening in community settings? So it is happening every time there is a, a, a young woman of reproductive age uh, that presents to an oncologist in the community. It would be useful to think and counsel the patient about the option of fertility preservation, because that is something that uh, unfortunately will never grow back 
It will never go back after chemotherapy. I'm going to guess that it doesn't happen as often as it should. Is that, uh, is that safe to say that, that there are missed opportunities here? Yes, especially in the past, uh, there have been uh, uh, many missed opportunities. I have to say that here at the Cleveland Clinic, with this program that has now become much more structured, we miss very few of these patients. We have at least one patient every week that is referred to our center. And in addition, we have uh, about 20 to 30 pediatric uh, female cancer patients that are referred to us every year. Tell me a little bit about the program. You said you have a, a program coming in place to work patients through the system. What does that look like? Well, this is very exciting because uh, uh, up until now, fertility preservation was performed uh, on a sporadic approach, I would say. Now, instead, uh, we have a fertility uh, preservation coordinator. We have a nurse. Uh, her name is Shoshana, who basically coordinates all the patients. As long as the primary oncologist or physician in general places an order, then we will be notified and reproductive endocrinologists will perform a, an initial consultation and then will make a determination on whether this patient is basically a good candidate for fertility preservation and also what would be the best technique to use. And then they always confer back to uh, the primary and the referring physician so that uh, everybody is aligned uh, and we can uh, start a fertility preservation uh, approach uh, as soon as uh, the following week. All right. How do we raise awareness? How, how are you going about making sure people know what you're doing and getting people in to see you. We're lucky here at the clinic because we have uh, an excellent marketing team who has been uh, putting out QD consult and also other approaches to to spread the word uh, about this uh, program that is available to all Cleveland Clinic patients. And so coverage issues, is this typically covered by insurance? Um, how does, uh, how does insurance play into what is available in terms of options? So typically, it is not covered by insurance. However, we do have a compassionate care program for this kind of patients with cancer. And we also provide the patients with uh, grant funding from our department and also from their own department. Many times they have... Uh, some grant funds for fertility preservation. So the bottom line is that the patients very seldom have to pay for these fertility preservation techniques. That's excellent. Research, um, studies, is there anything going on here at the clinic in terms of new techniques or what, what's kind of on the horizon in this area? in terms of other ways that we can do fertility preservation? I personally am very interested in fertility preservation and I have done uh, research on it. 
And one very exciting result of, of all this research is that uh, this AMH hormone can preserve uh, uh, fertility just by keeping the primordial follicles from entering that first developmental step. So uh, we are doing as a group uh, more research on medications that can mimic the AMH effect on the primordial follicles and then administer it to preserve fertility. But this research is in very early stages. And of course, this medication is not yet approved for any human use. Um, however, it is very promising and exciting. Is there anything that uh, is being done um, either from a medical or surgical perspective that is a little bit closer to fruition? Surgical fertility preservation is a relatively young field, and all the published studies are all of relevance. But what it is more exciting is that the amount of research has led to lift the experimental label from the two described oocyte and tissue cryopreservation. And so uh, the oocyte cryopreservation became of clinical use in 2012 and the cortex tissue cryopreservation in 2019. So physicians treating cancer and using potentially gonadotoxic therapies are now compelled to address the options for fertility preservation to their patients. And that's the most exciting result of all the research that has been done. That, that is exciting. And I guess as they move away from that experimental consideration, is it likely that insurance might start covering this? I believe so. There are uh, a few studies where fertility preservation is mandated by the government, but not all the 50 states have been aligned yet. Um, so that is still up to the single payers, basically. Where do you see the gaps, either from a technique standpoint, clinically, how we engage patients? What, what do you think are the biggest gaps? Where, what do we need to fix? I think the biggest gap is uh, the financial burden for these patients. We have the technique down now, uh, which is very solid uh, and reproducible. And we have uh, excellent physicians that can perform these techniques, both of them. And so the uh, financial step uh, is the limiting factor. And hopefully with the grant funding uh, and also with, uh, uh, with other venues, uh, we try to overcome uh, this major gap. Is it possible that we don't have some patients that could benefit even come see you because they're afraid of the cost and they may not know there's funding available? If they present to us, we will make it very clear to them that whether they can afford it or not, we will be able to perform the technique for them. And then just, just really quickly to double back a bit, success, success rates when we're trying to look at each of those three techniques, how, how often can patients that go through these programs actually preserve their fertility and have successful uh, you know, pregnancies afterward? 
Yes, and you you said the word, the ultimate way for us to judge success is the achievement of pregnancy. So the oocyte cryopreservation technique, uh, as I said before, is very solid, and we can assure 95% chance of having a pregnancy or two harvesting approximately 20 mature oocytes. So that's, that's incredibly good. With the ovarian tissue, to cryopreservation. This technique is relatively younger than uh, the oocyte cryopreservation. And uh, there's only a few studies showing uh, fertility and the achievement of pregnancies. But in the world, uh, um, noticing that, uh, again, we don't know how many ovarian tissue cryopreservation patients actually had the tissue transplanted back inside their pelvis. We know that there is at least uh, 150 live births. So it is a very promising uh, as a technique, and uh, as a pregnancy rate, it's being calculated in approximately 30% of these patients. So again, very effective and efficient. Well, you're doing outstanding work that's a really important part of what we're doing to take care of patients with cancer. So I appreciate all the efforts. So. Any additional comments? The only thing I would possibly say is just to try to refer any patient that is at risk for undergoing a gonadotoxic therapy in advance of her therapy to us uh, so that we can assure efficient fertility preservation. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.